Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Well, 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 well. Greetings, Raiders Nation. Missed you guys uh, big time. Uh, hey, can't complain. I was in Italy for a week uh, on vacation with the family. How bad can that be? It wasn't bad at all. I'll tell you that right now. It was a lot of fun. Enjoyed my time immensely. Got a chance to unplug a little bit and recharge the batteries. And I am raring to go. On the eve of training camp 2021, the Raiders open camp tomorrow. Veterans uh, and everybody else reports uh, to uh, Henderson tomorrow um, for Raiders training camp. Uh, Rookies and quarterbacks have been in the building since Saturday, but it's getting ready to go off, as they say, uh, really on Wednesday when uh, the team gets out to practice uh, over at Henderson. I can't wait. Uh, by the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonson. You're brought to you by Tequila Embajador. A short show today. Uh, we're going from 4 to 5.15 p.m. Uh, the Las Vegas Aviators, the AAA team uh, in town, uh, has early starts the next two nights. So for the tech- next two uh, days, we'll be on from 4 to 5.15 p.m. But I'm here to answer any questions, talk about anything that's on your mind as the Raiders Get set to open training camp. It's on. That's. I mean, we've been counting the days for how long now? Really, since the end of last season when the Raiders uh, went for two uh, to beat the Denver Broncos in early January to win their last game of the season to finish eight and eight. It's been uh, a whole bunch of talk, uh, a lot of activity since then. A draft, free agency. Uh, the Raiders, I feel, got better on defense last year. We'll see about the offensive line. It's retooled, uh, younger, uh, perhaps more available. Hello, Trent Brown, uh, who played 16 games over the last two years. That certainly wasn't going to get it done. Uh, I think that the Raiders added versatility in Kenyon Drake uh, offensively, adding to uh, Josh Jacobs, uh, their running back who has gained 2,000 yards over his first two seasons. The first running back. Since Marcus Allen, guy by the name of Marcus Allen, to put together back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, and Josh Jacobs did that uh, his first two years. But you add Kenyon Drake now to that mix. Uh, we'll see if Henry Ruggs takes the necessary step forward. Brian Edwards, we all know what we what the Raiders have in, in Darren Waller. I think offensively, along with Derek Carr, uh, the Raiders' offense is set and ready to go. Uh, it's defense. We've been talking about this all offseason long. Can the defense, is the defense finally in line to hold up its end of the bargain? I thought last year the Raiders, far too many games, uh, were kind of playing with their arm, one arm tied behind their back. Let's be honest with it. Uh, When your offense scores 27, 28 points per game, uh, as the Raiders did last year, many times going over the 30-point threshold, Uh, and still not being able to win enough games to get to the playoffs despite us scoring the 10th most points in the NFL. 
that falls on the defense. I know that the offense wasn't perfect last year. No offense is perfect. I mean, it's it's you can nitpick all you want. Well, you know, had they had they been a little bit better in the in the red zone scoring touchdowns, I get it. If they were a little bit better here, if they were a little bit better there, yeah, they would have scored uh, more points, uh, been able to be a little bit more efficient offensively. But let's face it, when you score the tenth most points in the NFL, if you're not making the playoffs, something's really wrong uh, with the defense. And that certainly was the case with the defense that gave up. 30 points per game, forced the third fewest turnovers, was third worst in the NFL in getting teams off the field on third downs, uh, had 21 and a half sacks total uh, on the defense, 14.5 uh, along the defensive line. That's just not going to get it done. And so I've been preaching this the entire offseason. If this Raiders defense can get squared away, and I was thinking about this actually today. Uh, if they could get into that 17-18 range, um, which is a heck of a lot better uh, than finishing 30th in the league in terms of points given up, if they could get to that 16th, 17th range, and there's really, to me, no reason why they can't. Uh, I don't subscribe to the theory that the Raiders have wasted a bunch of draft picks, uh, that they're not good enough, that they don't have talent on defense. I don't subscribe to that. I think there is sufficient talent on the defensive side of the ball, especially now with the Raiders bringing in Unique Ngagwe, especially now uh, with Max Crosby being arguably in the best shape of of his life, Uh, bringing in a Casey Hayward, drafting a Trayvon Morig uh, over at free safety, retooling the defensive line, adding some depth, adding some versatility, adding some upside in a guy like Solomon Thomas, adding some certainty in a guy like Quinton Jefferson, being able to, as new defensive coordinator Gus Bradley uh, pointed out, putting together a rotation of defensive lines so that by the end of games where the Raiders defense sometimes was at its worst last year, being in a better position from a physical standpoint to be able to get through that finish line. Too many times last year, the Raiders defense wasn't able to finish the deal. We've talked about it so much uh, throughout this offseason. The game against the Kansas City Chiefs where the offense left the field with a minute and 43 left with the lead uh, against the Miami Dolphins with 19 seconds left. The Dolphins starting that final drive at their own 25-yard line with no timeouts and 19 seconds left in the game. Behind, with the Raider, after the Raiders' offense took the lead uh, to, uh, to, uh, to put themselves in a position to win, and the defense couldn't hold uh, the lead against the Chargers in overtime. The Raiders kick a field goal to go up in OT, The Raiders' defense just needs to come up with one play to make a stop, but they can't. Three losses in the last minute or so that could have made all the difference in the world in terms of where the Raiders finished. The Raiders' defense wasn't able to get it done. A lot of reasons. We've talked about all those reasons why they couldn't get it done. There was... Some of it was talent, some of it was coaching, some of it was just bad circumstance, there were injuries, there wasn't an offseason last year. A lot of things conspired against that defense, but those I, you can't convince me that there isn't talent on that defense, that there isn't uh, an ability to, for, for younger players to get better. For a guy like Corey Littleton to bounce back and, and be the player that the Raiders thought he was going to be when they signed him as a free agent coming into last year. I think there's enough talent on this team for Gus Bradley and his staff 
to be able to get this thing pointed in the right direction. And I don't see any reason why they can't move into that 17, 18 uh, type range. And if so, and the Raiders offense just duplicates what it did last year, let alone exceed it, which there's a chance that they can. If the Raiders uh, defense can get into that range, this is a playoff team straight out. It's a playoff team, but it has to happen on the field. The Raiders defense, and that's why I'm so curious about even just this week alone, going out to practice this week, and it starts on Wednesday over at uh, the facility uh, in Henderson, and and it's on from that point. But I want to see who lines up where. I want to see who's starting at cornerback opposite Trayvon Mullen. I want to see who that free safety is going to be. Is it going to be Trayvon Morig, the second-round pick out of TCU? Does Tyree Gillespie, who opened up a lot of eyes uh, in, in OTAs, does he get a legit chance uh, to win that job? What does Jonathan Abram look like in his new role? Um, what does that defensive line look like with all the, the new pieces, the new parts? We talked about this uh, in terms of Yannick Ngakwe, uh, what he brought to the table in OTAs, just watching him play side-by-side side against everyone else that the Raiders have out there and understanding this guy is different. This guy's built different. This guy is faster, quicker, more athletic uh, than, than, than what the Raiders had last year. And that's while also acknowledging there's talent on the Raiders' defensive line. Cleve Farrell uh, is a good, solid football uh, player. Max Crosby, in the shape that he is in now, is a good, solid football player. It's not taking anything away from those guys to say Unique Ngakwe is just a little bit different than everybody else. It's a compliment to Unique Ngakwe. There's just certain players in this league that are a bit a cut above uh, everybody else. And you can tell just in... 15 minutes of watching Unique Ngagwe. This dude brings a whole other dimension to the defense, and, you, and that's what you need. That's why you go out and sign a guy like Unique Ngagwe, to add to what you already have. Uh, and I think that uh, being able to see him now when the pads go on and the physicality raises and the Raiders go out to Los Angeles to practice against uh, the Rams and, and, and the preseason game at Allegiant Stadium in a couple of weeks. Did you hear what I just said? The preseason game at Allegiant Stadium in a couple of weeks. That's where we are right now. How excited uh, are you about that? I know that I'm fired up. Um, and, and it really, I'm just fascinated about this week uh, to see all this, you know, the, the players that we've been writing about, the players that we had a good chance, got a good chance to look at during OTAs. But it's different, obviously, uh, in that setting, in that environment. Uh, that pace compared to what we're going to start seeing uh, beginning on Wednesday when things get ratcheted up quite a bit. Yes, there's no tackling to the ground yet. It's not like it was uh, back in uh, the old school days where, where guys were teams were scrimmaging on a daily basis, two a days, uh, full, fully padded, fully active, fully physical. Uh, those days are over and probably fortunately. Um, so you do st still have to do a little bit of projecting, um, you know, that guys are going to be able to make the tackle. Guys are going to be able to fight through tackles, whatever the case might be, uh, because you don't have that element uh, during practice. But as opposed to last year, and thankfully so, guess what? There's some preseason games this year. Remember, when you think back to a year ago, it just, it's kind of mind-boggling, Um a, that we got through it all last year. The NFL actually played a season in the middle of a 
worldwide pandemic. You, you, if you think about it along those terms, the marvel that it was that a full season was able to get played last year is still astounding to me in a lot of ways. But I, I think back to last year at this time and the uncertainty that we were all experiencing. Yeah, they're going to try to play a season, but are they going to be able to play the season? I mean, what happens if there's an outbreak? What happens if some craziness happens? Uh, What happens if they're going to have to stop it all for a couple of weeks to get it back under control? Uh, What's going to happen? Is this season even how I had people, I remember talking to people in the NFL, other journalists, observers, whatnot, and there was a consensus that there's no way that they're going to be able to play 16, a full 16-game schedule. They'll be lucky if they get 12 games in, 10 games in, whatever it is. They'll crown a champion. They'll do their best. They'll crown a champion at the end of the season, uh, and that'll be that. Well, they actually got 16 games in and a full playoff uh, in a Super Bowl. And um, I give the NFL a lot of credit for that. But just thinking back to that time last year and the fact that and this really puts it all into perspective. The first time John Gruden got a chance to see his team last year was when training camp opened in late July, early August. He hadn't seen his team intact, face-to-face, person-to-person, since the last game of the last season in 2019. You think about that for a second. That was the last time his full team was together. After that, the next day in Oakland, um, going through exit interviews and all that, guys are scattered. The locker room is, is you know, uh, a, a shell of itself. Uh, guys are doing their own thing, packing up, getting out of town, uh, whatever the case might be. So even on that day, you know, he may have fleetingly saw some guys here or there and, you know, uh, but, it, but it wasn't like his full team. Then he goes through an entire offseason, a draft, free agency. Everything was on Zoom. Everything was by phone, trying to do it in a distanced manner. Uh, there were no OTAs. There were no mini camps. There was not, nobody was allowed in buildings. You can't go out there and work out uh, at your team building. All, all team buildings were closed. So literally, John Gruden and everyone else, every other coach in the NFL for that matter, the first time they saw their teams together, was when training camp started last year. Imagine, just think about that and contrast it to this year. Gus Bradley uh, did an interview recently where where he talked about how the Raiders' defense went through 2,000 in-person reps during OTAs. I I mean, say what you want about OTAs. I get it. It's two-hand touch in a lot of ways, uh, and there's just a lot of walking through. There's a lot of... um, you know, half-paced uh, type of type of exercises, but you're still on the field putting in, you know, what you installed in the classroom. You're taking what you learned in the classroom onto the field and walking it out, and there's merit in that. Uh, it's, it's, it's a way for players to, to learn and for you to build a foundation a, 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 as a team to get, a, to get a look at guys. Are they learning it in the classroom? Are they applying it uh, on the field? Are, where they, are they where they need, need to be? Are they taking the right angles uh, as defensive backs? Are they picking up the right stunt um, you know, along the offensive line? All of these things, all of these little things that go toward being able to have a good evaluation of your team, of your players, or have a good idea heading into training camp, none of that was available. None of that was available. And in fact, the first day training camp started last year, if you remember correctly, remember it was that like that that 
five-day walk-up. It was like a conditioning period where it was only conditioning. I don't even know if they were allowed to bring a football out on the field for crying out loud. If they did, it was just to stop it or, or something along those lines because they didn't have any conditioning, uh, any real conditioning during the offseason. None of that was available to teams. So even when they got together last year in Henderson for the first time, it wasn't like they could just go out there and, and work on football stuff. It was all conditioning, trying to get, get the ramp-up period, uh, you know, to get guys physically fit enough to start actual training camp. And then there was that little ramp-up period where you could kind of increase it a little bit, can't quite do 11-on-11s 11 or, or get out there and, and do full football uh, activities. You have to ratchet it up a little bit. Have to You have to make sure guys are ready to go. This is what guys teams were dealing with at this time last year. And yes, everyone had to deal with that. Everyone had to deal with the same uh, deck of cards. And that's you, you, you totally understand that. So it's not an excuse for what ultimately happened. And the Raiders finishing 8-8 eight and eight when they probably sh- realistically should have won at least 10 games, maybe 11 games. But it sure did contribute to it because there's, you know, I felt, and we've talked about this a lot, I, I just don't think that that Raiders defense between coaching, between the youth, between bringing in a bunch of new players, uh, I thought that I still feel that the Raiders' defense was really behind the eight ball. The offense was in a better position to handle that kind of turmoil, that kind of uh, upheaval as far as the schedule and the way things were were laid out uh, for the team. It was a veteran offense. Derek Carr was going into year three with John Gruden. They had a good command of things uh, on that side of the ball. But defensively, it was certainly going to hurt a young team like the Raiders, and it did. But the good news is, as we just mentioned, that young defense, which is still a young defense, and there are some new players this year, there's no question about it, but the fact that they were able to get 2,000 snaps together uh, during OTAs has to stand for something. And so when camp truly opens uh, on Wednesday with the first practice out at Henderson, they're going to be so much further ahead of where they were last year it's not even funny. Uh, the Raiders have a pretty good idea of what their team is all about. Uh, I think the Raiders much more than they did uh, at this time last year. Uh, remember, last year, training camp opens, and there's Damon Arnett starting at, uh, at one of the cornerback spots. He looked pretty good, too. I'll be honest with you. I, I praised him uh, last year. Uh, but injuries and, and, and some, some issues uh, held him back in, in his rookie year. He needs a big bounce-back season this year. But coming into this year... The Raiders had a chance to watch Casey Hayward play that uh, cornerback spot throughout OTAs. He's familiar with new defensive coordinator Gus Bradley and the new secondary coach Ron Miles. Uh, they have a much clearer idea of what's going on uh, on the defensive side of the ball and at certain positions. So uh, it's just night and day compared to last year. The whole feel of things uh, this year compared to last year uh, is, is in stark contrast. And that's a good thing. Now, are there some issues that need to be dealt with? Um, you know, are we completely back to normal? No, uh, obviously not. And there's going to be some interesting, an interesting situation and a, an interesting um, underlying story that we're all going to have to follow throughout uh, this year. And COVID-19 has certainly not disappeared. It's still prevalent. It's still part of um, the landscape. And it's something that uh, teams are going to have to manage, the Raiders included. Uh, and that brings us to vaccination, whether to get vaccinated, whether or not to get vaccinated. And I'm not going to get into all the 
political aspects uh, of that um, and, and of those decisions. Everyone has a right to make their own decision. That goes for me. It goes for you. It goes for everybody else uh, that's a citizen of the United States. But having said that, there's going to be two sets of rules for those who are vaccinated and those who aren't. The NFL is perfectly within their rights, and it's not even just the NFL. Anything that happens in the NFL, people need to understand that any big decision that happens has to be mutually agreed upon with the Players Association. And so the protocols that are going to be in place, and we're going to get into this in a little bit, because I do believe it's going to have a little bit of a say in what happens this year uh, between players that are vaccinated and the players that aren't vaccinated. Uh, the, the, the repercussions that could happen if there's an outbreak on a team and who's going to be liable for that, who's going to be responsible for any financial shortcomings that might result in an outbreak. And if a game gets postponed or, or, or canceled, who's going to be uh, on the hook for that? Uh, so that whole vaccination, not vaccinated thing, while it's an individual decision, there's a collective aspect that has to be addressed. And we'll talk about it when we get back. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bajaro. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Right back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Uh, we have Raider Dave on the line. Uh, missed you, Raider Dave. How you doing, brother? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you very much. I was wondering if your trials and tribulations of running around through this uh, off season here, if you've heard of or figured out what the NFL is going to allow these teams to have for a practice squad. I think last year they ended up having quite a few more available players, and I just don't know what they're going to do this year. I think once you let the cat out of the bag like that, I think the ownership is really going to want to try to uh, hold on to some players instead of letting some people go that can start later because of injury. Yeah, last I heard, uh, they were keeping last year's rule intact. Um, so I, I haven't heard anything to contradict that recently, uh, but I will definitely check into it. I thought last year's rules should be the rules forever. <laughs> you know, uh, I do, I've, and I'm, I'm sure the ownership did as well. Was that 10 protected players and then like six others? You had, um, yes, I think it was 10 protected players, six others that, you know, teams could swoop in and, uh, and, and jump in on at any given time if they want. But of course, you know, the, the signing team would have to add that player to their 53 man uh, roster. Um, the other aspect of it was, I forgot exactly how many spots were available to fit this category, but it, let's just say four. I think it was, I think it was four or somewhere along that line. Might've been six to be honest with you. But anyway, what it was, was, you know, practice squads are predicated on service time in the NFL. Like there's a certain point in time where if you've achieved enough service time as an NFL player, you're no longer qualified uh, to be on the practice squad. So, um, but what the NFL did last year was allow for, let's say four. I don't know that to be, the actual case, but there were multiple spots on each team's practice squad that were open to players who had 
any number of uh, years of service time or games of service time. That's how the writers were able to get Theo Reddick. Uh, I want to say that Sam Young uh, was also in that category at one point or another. So it was basically a uh, little, little bit of a taxi squad of experienced players that could be in your building, that could practice with your team, and that could be available on uh, on, on on any given at any given moment. Uh, so that instead of turning to a very inexperienced, not ready practice squad player in case an injury occurred, you were able to go reach into the into that to bring up a theoretic who has plenty of uh, NFL service time and is reliable. And, you know, I've always felt like there's players on this planet uh, that, you know, maybe they're not in line for a 50 for a spot on the 53 man roster, but they also don't want to give up their career just yet. They still want to make a little bit of money. Uh, and they would be open to, hey, if I have to go be a practice squad player and be available, be in the building, you know, make $11,000 per week or whatever the case might be, whatever, you, you know, pay scale you fit on, um, to be ready to go on a moment's notice. I think there's a bunch of guys that would be okay with that. You know what I'm saying? So um, I do agree. And I think your 53 plus 16 gets you to 69. So they've got 90 now. They're really only going to cut 21 players. Yes, exactly, and uh, and that's another uh, another good aspect uh, of it. It creates more jobs, it creates more opportunities, and as last year showed, um, you know, unfortunately, you don't want to be in this case, but I I got to go back and count how many players actually played a snap for the Raiders, but it was it was a lot. It was probably way too many, and um, I remember somebody at the end of the season. Going into the last game or last two games, asked John Gruden, you know, uh, hey, are you are you looking forward to to be able to get a look at some of these guys, you know, down the stretch? He's like, I, I've played like a hundred players. I've played way too many guys. I've seen way too many guys. I just want to see my starters. I want to see my healthy players out there. Uh, the, you know, the players that I'm counting on. Uh, you know, enough with seeing a bunch of guys, but. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's a couple of things that, that that the NFL should keep intact. One is the practice squad, and then the other, and I believe this is the case as well, is the use of um, of the injured reserve list. Um, you know, in the past, you were able to you know bring back two guys through the course of the season. You put you put a guy on injured reserve. Um, he had to sit out for at least eight weeks. Uh, then you were able to bring them back and you know decide whether you're going to add them to the to the uh, to the roster to the 53 man roster, um, but that wasn't enough, you know, because because guys end up staying on the roster even though they're not going to be able to play for the next four weeks because you understand because you don't want to lose them for the full eight weeks, and so it's kind of a it was kind of an archaic way of doing things, and then not only that, but you had healthy guys that after eight weeks were fully ready to play and good players by that, uh, for that matter, that because the team had already used the two slots available to bring back, they had to rot away on injured reserve when they could have been out on the field helping the team uh, win so or, or play. And so they changed that where you're able to come and go as you please on, on injured reserve and you had as many takebacks um, as, as, as you wanted. I think that should be the case. It should be more like, baseball you know where where um what do they call it now the injured list um there's categories you miss five games you miss 10 games whatever the case might be but there's always you could put as many guys uh on on the injured list as you want you can bring back as many guys uh as you want and it and it just helps the manager 
because you're not having to waste a roster spot on a guy that might not be able to play over the next four weeks, but, but isn't seriously enough hurt to miss eight weeks, you know? So, uh, and I know that a lot of coaches feel the same way. They're like, why, you know, you need more flexibility in that regard. You need to be able to, with, especially with football being as, as violent and physical as it is, you need to have a means in which to be able to to go and, and get the healthiest guys uh, on your roster at, at any given time. So um, we'll see. I think both of those rules are staying atta- intact, and I hope that they stay intact uh, for a long time to come. There's You just opened up a, uh, a Pandora's box uh, for me. There's so much that I could talk about in that regard um, with the 46-man roster on game days. That you know, uh, If we're talking along those terms, the whole reason they have the 53 and the uh-huh. 46 Hello. Uh, yeah. How about we ask Ed? Oh, that's right. Okay. Uh, sorry about that. I, I missed that. Ed Graney, uh, my colleague over at the Las Vegas Review Journal, and you could follow him. Uh, just download the app Vegas Nation or go to on the computer, type in VegasNation.com uh, and Las Vegas Review Journal. You'll be able to see Ed uh, Graney's great content, uh, all the great columns. Ed, how are you doing, my friend? What's up, buddy? How are you doing? I'm doing good. Sorry to uh, keep you waiting uh, oh, there. No, I was I was going on and on, Ed. I was, I was just I was it. in my yeah. You know, like why <laughs> some of these crazy NFL rules uh, that just didn't make any sense to me. It looks like they're getting that straightened out. But uh, thanks for spending some time with us sure. in the huddle. I truly appreciate it. All right, so Ed, we're on the eve of training camp. Practice starts on Wednesday. We're all going to be out there uh, at in, in Henderson. Uh, monsoons, uh, notwithstanding. Hopefully, we're we're beyond all of that. But uh, what are you most looking forward to seeing? I know it's early, but in in the sh- in the in the next week or so, what is it that Ed Graney is going to be paying attention to out at practice? You know, I think uh, I think a lot of people would answer with the defense, but I'm far more uh, interested in the wide receivers. Um, I really want to see. You know, Rugs and Edwards, and kind of if we can see it, you know, as well as anyone, it's hard before, until they start playing people, uh, especially early in camp. But um, Rugs and Edwards, I'm, you know, I'm interested to in seeing John Brown and Willie Sneed that they brought in, uh, to, if they can like make up from Nelson Aguilar stuff. Um, I'm really interested because I think at this point, you know, they have one of the top two, three tight ends in all of football, but, you know, you also don't want to be the only guy on critical downs that he trusts. So, They've got to have Ruggs or one of these guys step forward. I think Ruggs is probably the kind of odds-on favorite in people's minds that he would be the guy. Um, books have put out numbers, and they've been pretty conservative on his numbers in terms of totals. I think that they're waiting around, two to see what he does. Um, so, really, any of the wide receivers, I know everyone's going to say the defense and uh, you Gakwe and all that, and Trayvon Moore, and I'll watch that. Obviously, we watch everything out there. But I really want to see. I think the wider side, I think it can be like a much, I can think it'd be a better offense in top 10, which is really good. But if it's going to be better in top 10, some of those receivers have to step up. You know why I like having Ed uh, on the show today is because we're going to be able to just hash it all out right here, Ed, for everyone to hear. Because these are the conversations that Ed and I have going into a game, going into what are you going to write about? What are you going to write about? What are you going to focus on? What yeah, are you going to that's, so, that's so what let's we do just, on a daily basis. <laughs> let, let's just get it all straightened out right now um, so that uh, we don't even have to have this conversation exactly. uh, on, on, on Wednesday. But, you know, you're right. And I, I, I like you going against the grain because obviously – the defense is such a focal point, and it has yeah. to be. It's it, yeah. it all to me, and I think you would agree. Uh, as fascinating as, as as Henry Ruggs and and Brian Edwards uh, are to the in the whole uh, scheme of things, 
that defense does need to get squared away. Sure. So uh, I want you to take your eyes off of Henry Ruggs for just one second. And I, and I do want to take you to that defense. And, um, you know, you wrote over the weekend how this offense is a playoff caliber offense and, and yeah. has a chance to be even better uh, than it was this year. But obviously for anything to move forward in a meaningful way, the defense has to hold up its end of the bargain. We've been talking about it so much, Ed. We've written about it uh, so much this offseason. In your gut of guts, and I know you're at the gym right now or just finished up the gym working on yeah. all that. Got to get ready great. for training camp, Benny. Kick exactly. <laughs> In your gut of guts, Ed Graney, is this the year that the Raiders' defense gets straightened out enough to help this offense perhaps make a legit playoff push? Yeah, and you just said the key word, enough. I mean, it doesn't have to be a top-ten defense. It just has to be a lot better than it's been because I do think the offense is good enough to where, you know, I mean, you can't be 28th in defense, but – if you can be 20th and a top 10 offense, then you get the playoffs. And, you know, again, I remember um, the former defense coordinator, Paul Gunther, would tell me in recent seasons, like, you know, it's not top 10, it's, you know, top 15, top 18. If you're in that mode and your offense is good enough, you know the playoffs. So, they, you know, Gus Bradley doesn't have to be a miracle worker. They just need to be better and more disciplined and get to the point where, you know, Derek Carr doesn't feel need that they have to score 32 every week to win a game. I mean, they averaged nearly, you know, 28, 29 points last year. And as I wrote Sunday, they were 10th in offense. The nine ahead of them in scoring all made the playoffs. So yep. that kind of tells you what range you have to be in to be a playoff team. And they were okay offensively. Defensively, they weren't. So if you're telling me the offense is going to take even a more step forward because these receivers are going to step up and Gus Bradley can make this a top you know, 18 to 20 defense with the extra wild card, then I think they have a really good job to make a chance to make the playoffs. Uh, but if they stay at 28 or 29, then they don't. So – your your word is is good. I mean, it, they have to be good enough to get better to where they just don't put pressure on that offense everywhere. That they have to score a certain amount of points just to win games in the NFL. We talk about uh, Gus Bradley and the impact that he's going to have, and obviously that's where it all kind of starts, uh, and it filters down to his staff. And by all accounts, um, he's built a uh, a respected staff that has. Mm -hmm a body of work and a track record. Um, so they s appear to be in good hands in that regard. Uh, and ultimately it comes down to the players and yeah. it always does. And it always will um, give me three players on defense that have to have a big year or else, or, or just like a, even, you know, I don't even big year, solid year <laughs> or else. I mean, I think it's easier in the, easy in the secondary. If Trayvon Warren is going to be your starter as a rookie, he has to play above a rookie level, right? He has to do stuff beyond a rookie level. It's an extremely, extremely important position in Gus Bradley's scheme. He's got to be really solid. I mean, at this point, I actually think Trayvon Mullen is on a trajectory where he gets better every year. But let's go to strong safety. I mean, Jonathan Abram has to get better. He has to take better angles. He has to do all the things that you've written about over the last like 24 months to where he has to be better at in terms of how he plays his position. Um, again, who's the opposite corner? Right now, Damon Arnett's in there. You know, how quickly can Casey Hayward just take that? I mean, you know, those are the guys, they're the first and second year guys. Uh, and I think in Abrams' case, a third year guy to where the secondary has to step up. I mean, yeah, in Gawkway, it's important to get the push. I get all that. I, I think absolutely Corey Littleton will be better. I don't know that he can do any worse than he was last year, given what they expected of him. I think Kwiatkowski's really solid. But those secondary guys, man, if you're going to put a Ricky free safety and you're going to, you know, count on a Jonathan Abrams to be a lot better than he's been. I think it's the corners and the safeties. And if those guys get better uh, exponentially, so in the case of Arnett and Abram, 
then I think they have a really good chance to be, like we said, a much better defense. I, I don't know what that means. You know, does that mean 18, 15, 22? Who knows? But I think if their secondary can find enough players to make plays in there, then I think they'll be a lot better. And, you know, in that sense, there you go. You're off and running. And I think Gus Bradley knows what he's doing. Um, but he's got guys, and I'm sure, you know, we make fun of, you know, and when John Gruden, when he first hired. He's a great college player. This is a big jump for him. But if he can if he can come in and take that job and keep it, you know, they, they probably have a chance. We're talking to Ed Graney. You could follow him at Ed Graney. Uh, he's the great columnist over at the Las Vegas Review Journal. He also uh, is the host 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, ESPN Radio, our colleagues here, uh, Lotus Radio, uh, the press box uh, Monday through Friday. Um, Ed, you wrote about the relationship between uh, Derek Carr and uh, John Gruden. And, and um, you know, it's so ironic to me that the first guy that was supposed to be on the first bus out of town was Derek Carr when John Gruden uh, got here uh, with the Raiders. And yet he's the last man standing, ironically enough. Um, what makes that relationship tick? What makes that relationship um, get to the point where Everybody, um, especially nationally, is surprised that it's lasted too long. What makes that relationship work? And do you think it's going to continue to work? I mean, I think Carr is a really good NFL quarterback. And every great player, I don't care who you are, because now we, you know, you see Tom Brady going back and forth with people on Twitter, as great as Tom Brady is. And he's got seven rings, he's got to go back and forth. Every great quarterback has an ego. Every great quarterback at some level cares what people think. And no matter how much they deny it and say it and go over and over, I don't read, I don't read. Yeah, they do. And I think Carr, that kind of pushes him, the situation of like, you know, every offseason is like, are you going to move on from him? Is Brady coming? Oh, and is Aaron Rodgers available? And that's kind of been the narrative every offseason, yet he's always kind of been the guy in the end. So I do think he works really hard at what he does. And, and, and we all want to prove people wrong in our lives when we're doubted. I mean, it doesn't matter what profession it is, you know, Someone says, you know, you and I are the bad column. You didn't write really well. Well, you know, I'm going to show you the next one. I mean, so I think Derek Carr kind of has a little, you know, chip in the shoulder. They haven't been the playoffs under him. One time he got hurt, not his fault. But, yeah, I think that pushes him. And if you're Gruden, like, that's what you want. You want a dude who's all in on ball, who's all in on watching film, who, you know, is not, you know, uh, you know, Carr does stuff, some stuff in the offseason, but you don't see him doing a lot of off-field stuff all the time and on Twitter and all these things. He's on Twitter, but you know, he's not. He's usually, you know, with his family or playing ball. Uh, and that's, I'm sure Gruden loves that about him. Like, he just wants guys who are 24-7, completely into winning. And I think Derek Carr wants to win as, many, as much as anyone in that locker room. Because, again, Derek Carr is smart enough to know, as good a quarterback he is, is you are based and your legacy is based on the playoffs. That's fair or unfair. That's the reality of the position in the league he's in. So when you haven't done it, uh, you can go one of two ways. You can either be pushed and driven by that, which I think he is, or you can go the other way, and that's not good for anyone. So I think it works because Derek Carr kind of has this insatiable hunger to prove people wrong, while John Gruden sees a guy who works his butt off. And I just think it clicks because if you're going to play under Gruden at that position – I mean, you better be all in because, as we know with him, he's you know he's completely crazy in terms of work, working and getting better and making his quarterback as good as he can be. Having said that, Ed, um, I don't know if you noticed what happened with uh, Aaron Rodgers today, uh, yeah, but it looks yeah. like uh, he and the Green Bay Packers are coming to agreement on, on essentially what appears to be 
a one-year final run with the Green Bay Packers. Yeah. And by all accounts, he's going to have a lot of say in what his 2022 f- uh, future is. And it raises the question again, and if you want to even tie it into Devontae Adams, the Raiders are going to – the Raiders are projected at $50 million under the salary cap next year. The Raiders, if they – do decide to move on from Derek Carr uh, and his non-guaranteed $19.8 million could get to $70 million pretty easily. And in that scenario, could go out and get a, a Aaron Rodgers if he's available sure. and a Devontae Adams as he available. Are we going to be having, do you believe, the same kind of conversation next year if Aaron Rodgers truly does hit the open market and will the Raiders, are we going to be having that kind of a conversation once again next year, regardless of what oh, happens this year? Yeah, and I don't think the Raiders would be the only ones having that conversation when he hits the market. I mean, he's a generational guy. Now, again, he's, what, 36 right now, so he's not generation for much, much longer, but he's still an incredible quarterback. So I'll tell you what, I saw that, read that. I haven't seen the particulars. I don't know if they've been released yet. But if Green Bay is making a deal with him, that he comes back. And I always said he's come back this year. We were talking about this on our show this morning. I don't care how much you're worth. I don't care how much you're, you know, you have or whatever. It's 40, 35, 38 million on the table. You're not walking away. He's not, it's not happening. Um, and everyone said, Oh, he's going to walk away. He's going to walk. No, he wasn't. So he comes back. If they, for whatever reason, are going to let him walk without, whether it's, yeah, it's a bad word, but penalty or whatever they can get out of him, then, you know, everyone should have that guy's agent. Because if he can get out of that deal with a year left and not nothing happened to Greenby, they just let him walk. He's got a great agent. So if he, if that does happen, um, sure. I mean, not, you know, maybe it doesn't happen if Derek Carr takes him deep into the playoffs and they make a Super Bowl run and then like, hey, we don't need to make that move. But if they don't, and Aaron Rodgers is on the market and there's all, you know, there's no dead money for Carr and you can just move on from him and that's that. And you don't owe him anything. You're irresponsible if you're the Raiders if you don't call on Aaron Rodgers and that has nothing to do with Derek Carr. There's one or two guys in the league that, that you can say, no matter who your quarterback is. If you know a guy's available and you don't call on him, you're irresponsible. I mean, that's he's one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever live. So, yeah. But I also, like I said, I don't think the Raiders in the, the media in Las Vegas would be the only one talking about this if he's available. I think a lot of people would be like, hey, you know, he's available. Are you going to make the call? Well, and Ed, to prove this point, this is the last thing I'm going to ask of you. You're Bruce Arians. I'm Andy Reid. And I call you right now and say, hey, uh, I had a falling out with Patrick Mahomes. I'll give you Patrick Mahomes for Tom Brady. What are you doing if you're Bruce Arians? Is, is, the, is the situation in Kansas City untenable, like he's not going to play there anymore? No, I'm Andy Reid, and I'm calling you Bruce Arians, and I'm literally offering you Patrick Mahomes right this second for Tom Brady. This proves your point that, you know, oh. I don't care who you are. There's certain oh, guys no, that – I mean, you, you already won with one. You take you take you, pay, you take Pat Mahomes. You already won your Super Bowl. Exactly. I mean, so the, the guy's forty two years old or whatever. I mean, he's great. I mean, look, the, the guy's probably going to play until he's sixty. Who knows about that guy? But oh yeah, you take Pat Mahomes in a second. And if you're any of the anybody below Patrick Mahomes, you would, yeah. and and that includes some great quarterbacks. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah. it's not well, Derek it's Derek not an really embarrassment. It's not a slight. Not a lot of guys, you know, Derek Carr's eight years. What would he be four or five in with John next year? There's a very few, I don't even know if you get through one hand, that I think at that point you'd listen to. And, again, it's no knock against Derek Carr, but Aaron Rodgers is one of those guys you listen to. So, I mean, that, that, it, like, I think people go, the, the, the prerogative is to go negative right against Carr. It has nothing to do with Derek Carr. Exactly. If Aaron Rodgers is available and you don't know Derek Carr, you get Aaron Rodgers. That, that's nothing, but, again, you can only say that about a few guys in the entire league. You that or you just stay with Derek Carr because he's a good NFL quarterback. 
I think people 1, like to go with the negatives, like, oh, it's about Derek Carr. It has nothing to do with him. It's that you can get one of the greatest players who ever lived. 1,000%. Uh, and thank you for clearing that up because it becomes a, oh, you just hate Derek Carr. No. no I mean, if no. you're, you'd be, you'd be insane not to pursue yeah. that if that opportunity yeah. uh, came about. So um, I completely agree with you. I don't know. I, I mean, it'll be fascinating because uh, if it looks like he's going to be available next year and it looks like yeah. Devontae Adams might be available too, yeah. it just, it sets up something really fascinating. Um, but obviously we have our eyes on 2021 and that includes Derek Carr and everybody else. Uh, and I know Ed is going to provide tremendous coverage. Go read his stuff uh, at Vegas Nation. Um, you can download the app and, and, and visit on Vegas Nation or just go to VegasNation.com. You'll get all of Ed's uh, great work. Ed, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I will see you tomorrow, tomorrow uh, out at Henderson. Uh, looking forward yep. to it. Take care of yourself, my friend. Thanks, buddy. They just sent out the release. We'll see you tomorrow. Awesome. Can't see wait buddy. to see what uh, what all the particulars are. Uh, that's Ed Graney from the Las Vegas Review Journal, one of the great columnists in this country. You're in the huddle with Mini Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now, back to your host, Vinny Bonsignor. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. You are in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Uh, short show today. Uh, we're going to 515, uh, the Las Vegas Aviators, the AAA team here in uh, Las Vegas, uh, have an early start to their ballgame today and tomorrow, so uh, 4 to 515 uh, p.m. the next couple of nights. Uh, but that's all good. Uh, glad to be back. Uh, got some much-needed uh, rest and relaxation on uh, a family trip uh, to Italy. Uh, I urge anybody um, to get out to uh, what's arguably one of the most beautiful countries uh, in the world, especially where we were uh, in the southern part of Italy, Amalfi, Amalfi Coast, uh, Positano, uh, went to Naples, um, was able to get out to uh, Ravello, um, just just astonishing beauty, great people. And I can't tell you, uh, you know, eating at the various restaurants and, uh, you know, taxi cab rides uh, here and there, how thankful uh, Italians were, especially in that region where uh, so much of, of, of the uh, income is predicated on tourism and people making the trip out to Italy. Uh, you know, we talked about all the issues that the Raiders and everybody else in the NFL had to deal with because of COVID last year. Um, and we saw it firsthand in Las Vegas. Uh, I remember go- driving down the strip many times during uh, the, the heart and uh, of COVID-19, and everything was closed down. Uh, the streets were barren. I mean, there were more guys, people on bikes than there were cars, and it was just heartbreaking because you understood how many jobs and lives were being affected uh, because nobody could come out to Las Vegas to enjoy what they normally enjoy, staying at the hotels, swimming, gambling, eating, drinking, all of that that goes uh, into it. Well, the same thing happened, you know, in Italy and so many people were, you know, they'd hear the accent of myself and my family and just thanking us for coming back. Um, you know, please come back again. You know, we missed you guys, uh, Americans, last year. Obviously, Americans travel and we spend a lot of money. Uh, and it helps their economy, and uh, we were all too happy to uh, to be able to be back uh, there. But if you ever get a chance, Southern Italy is just beautiful. Um, there's just, you know, I grew up basically in California. I used to drive up 
uh, Pacific Coast Highway many, many times going from, you know, one end of uh, Southern California to the other. And I'm talking about L.A., Malibu to San Diego, for crying out loud. And there's breathtaking beauty uh, along that coast ride. Well, I have to say that uh, the Amalfi Coast takes that to a whole other level. Um, and, you know, because of the history, because of the beauty, um, uh, the food, the people, it just takes it to a whole other level. So uh, before uh, you exit stage left of this life, uh, make it a point uh, to get out to Italy and, and thank me uh, later. But I'm so excited and so happy uh, to be back and to, um, you know, just hit the ground running with the Raiders uh, opening camp uh, you know, veterans report tomorrow. Tomorrow will be one of those days where, um, you know, guys go through physical, you get your equipment, kind of the same thing. If you played whatever level of sports, you know what a day like tomorrow uh, is as far as, you know, getting everything squared away. And, you know, we'll keep an eye out on, we've, we've seen it across the league already um, in terms of guys ending up on this list or that list they show up either out of shape or maybe there's a physical ailment maybe it's COVID-19 we've seen a few of those already uh so don't be surprised if you know some some of those type of things start filtering out tomorrow from uh, the Raiders but by all accounts everybody is in good shape everybody's ready to go can't wait for Wednesday uh to see this 90-man uh, football team out on the field so we can get a real honest glimpse of what these 2021 Raiders are all about you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. So I'm thinking about taking the kids maybe tomorrow night, late tomorrow night, uh, to go see Space Jam. Um, Damon, any suggestions? Have you seen it? Uh, what do you think? What are your uh, thoughts? Should should I should I drop the uh, money uh, that it's going to take? You got teenagers, go right? Yeah, they and they've seen the first one. I've seen the first one, so um, they want to see it. So. Uh, Oh, well, go if they want to see it, yeah, go take them. But, I mean, yeah. I put it on, you know, it's on HBO Max, so you can maybe save the money if you have the HBO Max subscription. But, yeah, I did fall asleep within the hour. I mean, it was <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good story. I mean, LeBron's a good family man. I don't know what that says about the relationship with um, him and him and Bryce, you know, the second son, if, if that's going to be the representation of the one son who's, like, super good at basketball and the other son that LeBron's just like, man, why can't you play basketball more? No, LeBron's not going to be doing that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. That yeah. Um, no, I think LeBron. That's what I took away from the movie. Like he made a whole movie about him subliminally checking his son about like, hey man, why ain't you as good as your brother? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I don't get that. Uh, you know, knowing Magic Johnson and and his kids, and it 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 obviously crosses all spectrums. Uh, if you if you if you know uh, his family and he loves them all equally, I don't think. I think when you're a dad, you understand that. Um, you know, if you got your head in the right space, uh, you just want your 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 kids to be happy, uh, whatever it is uh, that they do. And uh, obviously, Bronny's doing his thing uh, on on the basketball court. I still feel like, unfortunately for him, 
the the real pressure is to come. Uh, it's one thing doing this in high school, but once he gets on to those next few stages, if he's so fortunate enough to get to those stages, you know, just the comparisons and and the pressure of being LeBron James's son. Um, you know, uh, I just hope people have. You, you, you know, I hope people have things in perspective because we know how pe- how people uh, can get. And I kind of Demond felt that way. I was in Italy when the movie came out, and I was you know looking at some of the um, some of the comments on social media and how people were you know bashing the movie and, he has and this and that. Deep. <laughs> and and you know, I, okay, you fell asleep. I I doubt you would f- have fallen asleep in a theater unless you're one of those kind of kind of dudes. I mean, if you're at a theater and you're, oh no, if I would have paid money for it. Yeah, you right. I would have been up. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But I think the whole note, like when you're a dad and you're a parent, you base movies on did it make my kids smile? Did they like it? Like if you're going for you to go see a kid's movie and you're judging it yourself, you know, um, you don't, you just don't do that. I mean, obviously you're like, yeah, it was a pretty good movie, but more than anything, you want your kids to enjoy it. That's how you start living your your life almost vicariously through your kids. You want to make sure that they're satisfied, that they're happy. That's the litmus test. And I just detected, and 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 it kind of goes right down the line. People that just don't like LeBron James for whatever reason, I could tell. I could feel it. You could feel their energy uh, in some of the tweets and some of the comments. And I was like. Well, first of all, I doubt very – if you don't like LeBron James, you probably didn't go to the movie to begin with. So let's stop it right there. Like you you weren't going to go do it. You're and, and whatever comment you're making, generally speaking, I think, especially when it's the real overly negative one, you're just coming up with it off the top of your head. You didn't actually go see the movie. I'm sorry. I'm calling people out for, uh, for being like that. But also, how serious are we – do we take this stuff sometimes? Like you can't just even give it up to the guy for making a good little whole some family movie and just enjoy it for what it is. You still got to bash it because you don't like LeBron James. I just don't get that energy, uh, Demon. I, I think we're we've gone so far in that direction sometimes uh, that it, it it just it's just frustrating. Like this is a movie that kids are for kids basically, and it's just a good time at the movies. It doesn't need to be anything more or less uh, than that. But but some people just don't want to give any ground. But you know, I know the kids want to go see it, so I'm going to take yeah, man, it. Yeah, but uh, come on, Vinny. This movie isn't getting any Oscar buzz. LeBron gave a lackluster performance, outshined by Wiley Coyote. I mean, come on. As he should be. He's not an actor. <laughs> you know, he's not I an mean, actor. Don Chino acted circles around LeBron. I mean, I would, I would be. Jordan would, I would have be never let this happen to him. I would be disappointed for Don if if it was the other way around. Like that's like like that's like saying you know if those two guys were on you know playing a basketball game that you know LeBron James you know uh, uh, drew circles around him in a in a in a game of one on one. Well, he should. One guy's an NBA player. One guy's an accomplished, uh, fantastic. I love him uh, actor. So uh, and that's part of. I don't know if you ever watched the show uh, Seinfeld. It was Jerry Seinfeld. He was a comedian. Uh, and he had a long-standing show, but one of the one of the um, the inside jokes of that whole show uh, was that Jerry Seinfeld was a horrible actor. He would tell you that himself. He was a terrible actor, and it kind of came, but it was almost funny. That made it even funnier that he was so bad uh, at at acting uh, that it that it kind of you know it was almost in a charming uh, sort of a way. So if you're going, you know, again to go see the movie to critique. LeBron James's acting chops. I, I, 
I'm not sure you understood what the whole intent uh, of the of the of the movie is. By the way, Damon, we didn't get a chance uh, to talk about this. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks come back, roaring back on the Phoenix Suns to win four straight. Um, you know, I felt it in Game Three, and again, I was in Italy, but I but I stayed up enough to watch that. Um, I felt like the Phoenix Suns made a critical error, and what they did was they allowed the Milwaukee Bucks reserve players to wake up, you know, and once that happened, I thought it was a wrap. And I'll say this why Giannis was the best player on the court by far. And once he got the help that he needed, there was nothing that I don't think the Phoenix Suns were going to be able to do uh, to fight that off. It was, it's hard enough dealing with Giannis, but when he's got his supporting cast playing, like they eventually started to play, uh, it was just, it was just too much for the Phoenix Suns. Your thoughts. Giannis is the best player in the league. Two-time MVP. I, I think it's one of those things where people forget because I think the NBA is so narrative-driven, where or all sports, where people are just like, oh, you know, he's won two MVPs in a row, but what has he done lately? Mm-hmm. It's like he won two MVPs in a row. He is the best. Well, he can't shoot. It's like imagine like if some that was someone's critique of Tim Duncan or Shaq in their prime. It's like this is a post player. I know that he can do those things that makes him special because he's 6'11 and he has a handle and then he's a nice passer. But imagine if someone's like, yeah, but Tim Duncan can't shoot the three. It's like, oh, Shaq, Shaq really can't knock down those free throws. Who cares? I know. I told you what Phil Jackson said. I'll start worrying about the free throws when Shaq's not averaging 32 points a game and, you know, 12 rebounds and four blocks. Like, like, okay, when it really affects the outcome, when it really affects – and there were definitely a game but, here or But a check game out there. his home and away splits were around 70 at home, 50 away. And it's just oh, – I don't know what to tell you. Like that last game going 17 and 19 from the from the line – if he can make them at home, if you can get like 70, if he, you know, if he can channel that and just go 70%, like for the season, for a series, whatever you want to say, I'll take it. But it's you know, just one of those things people's like, you guys, you guys got to stop looking for stuff to complain about. Devon, uh, back in my younger, uh, better shape days and all that, you know, where I was like a workout warrior, I truly was. And um, I worked out at this gym in Encino, California. You had this mix of, actors and producers and doctors and lawyers it was it was really a cool place uh to, to work out you know who used to work out there that I, I would talk to all the time the guys from new edition uh, all the all most of the night <laughs> wasn't expecting that. yeah oh man i uh um uh bell bev all those guys were there um the guy that the the uh the the uh the replacement singer um gosh darn it i'm um when was when johnny gill Johnny Gill. I love Johnny Gill. Totally cool dude. Um, and we were t- like, they would tell me, like, I would ask him, like, did you guys even understand what you were singing about in those early, early days? And they're like, because they were talking about girls and love and this and that. Like, heck no, man. They gave us our what we were supposed to do, our dance lines and everything like that, and, and we executed it. We didn't know anything about what we were really singing about, you know, until much later on. But anyway, that's the kind of place it was. It had people like that, many, many others. But I was because... You know, uh, I was a columnist in Los Angeles, so my so my picture was in the paper, and so people would see me, and you know, all of a sudden, you ever have a, a friend of yours that might be a doctor or whatever, he might be an expert in any kind of field, and you're always asking him a, if you're a doctor, this is what you're getting most of the time. Hey, you know, like if you're a friend of a doctor, man, my elbow's hurting, or you know, my knee kind of hurts. You know, what should I do? So you're always you're always trying to you're always answering questions, health related questions. Well, that's the same way as. A sports columnist. People 
would see me up on the elliptical machine, you know, at the uh, lap pull down, whatever the case might be, they want to talk sports, right? They saw my name in the or my picture in the paper, so I'm the go, I'm the sports go to guy at this gym that I was working out, and it was all good. Uh, I enjoyed it uh, immensely. Well, there was this one guy who was a psychiatrist, Devon, and a huge Laker fan, and this dude would beg me, beg me. Please, please, please get me a sit down with Shaquille O'Neal. I can figure out, I could get him straightened out on the free throw line like that. He felt it was all in his head. He goes, I can see, I can see the body language. I can see it in his face. What? And he would like spell out what he would do to help. And I'm like, Doc, I love you. You know that. But I'm not getting you a sit <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, do you really think I'm going to sit down with Shaquille O'Neal and go, hey, I've got this psychiatrist friend uh, of mine that wants to talk to you about free. He would go, Vinny, get out of my face right now. So I would like, oh, I'll, I'll see what I could do. I'll, I'll, I'll try to, you know, meanwhile, knowing there's no way that I'm going to actually try to get you a sit down with Shaquille O'Neal. And at but the even end of worse, the, day, the five minutes that I get with Shaq, you think I'm going to ask about you? I, right, exactly. Well, you know, there were more than five minutes uh, with 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 uh, Shaquille O'Neal. You know, Damon, uh, you're talking to a guy who wrote a movie script, by the way, that actually got optioned, made a little bit of money off of it, and I took it to Shaquille. Shaquille read it; he loved it, and um, he, you know, we sat down and, and talked about the possibility of of, of him acting in it. Uh, it didn't it didn't work out uh, for various reasons. Uh, but yeah, I had, a, I had a pretty decent relationship with Shaquille uh, back in the day, and those were some some fun times. And he was a great guy to cover. Uh, you never knew you, what you were going to get with Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, but and I used to tell people this all the time because there were people who actually took Shaquille seriously. Like you know, they would hang on his what he said, what he did. I'm like, you don't realize that Shaquille O'Neal is winking his way through life. The joke is on you. If you take it seriously, just watch him, you know, on, on, on TNT uh, after after games. He's just having a blast. That's what his whole life has been about. And in between, he was also arguably one of the most dominating players that I've ever seen. When he was in his prime, uh, for a, a, a man to be able to move the way he moved, his footwork, his athletic ability... It didn't matter if he couldn't shoot a hook shot or any kind of shot. He was just dunking all over people because he could. And he was still able to average 30-some-odd points just doing that. So you're right. To expect Giannis to hit three, who cares if he could hit threes? He's dominating the game in his own way. And I think that that needs to be uh, appreciated. So congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks. Congratulations to the Phoenix Suns, uh, who also had a great year. And the more I think about the Phoenix Suns, the more I think about the Raiders, there's no reason in my mind that the Raiders can't do something that the Phoenix Suns did. I'm not saying they're going to get to the Super Bowl. There was a lot of good luck and good fortune that went the Phoenix Suns' way. But just the fact that they were one of the best teams in the in the uh, in the NBA during the regular season and worked their way uh, into a finals appearance when they were supposed to predicted to win about 36 games coming into the season, I look at the Raiders and I wonder could they be the NFL version of the Phoenix Suns this year? Not getting to the Super Bowl, but at least making a serious run 
uh, at the playoffs and, and 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 being a team that uh, needs to be reckoned with in the uh, in the NFL. Uh, I want to say thanks to Ed Graney, my good friend from the Las Vegas Review Journal, for joining me. Uh, sorry about the uh, the condensed version of today and tomorrow's show, but we're big fans of the Las Vegas avi- Aviators. Uh, first pitch is shortly after five fifteen uh, tonight. Enjoy the game if you're listening in on the radios. Go Aviators! Uh, that's my AAA club, without a doubt. I want to say thanks to Devon Cotton. Uh, for doing everything that he does back at home base to make us sound good. I want to say thanks to the listeners and the callers. We'll be back at it tomorrow, uh, 4 to 5.15 p.m., and one day closer until the Las Vegas Raiders hit the field at Henderson uh, for an actual training camp practice. I cannot wait. We're about 48 hours away.